Thank you for downloading the weekly sermon from Trinity Reformed Church in Bloomington, Indiana. To find more great content, please check out our website at trinityreformed.org. Enjoy the sermon. All right. So we have arrived. And do all of you know where we have arrived? We've arrived at the last two verses of Romans chapter 8. And these are uh, the pecan divinity. These are the T-bone, the filet, the, the birthday cake of all of Scripture, if you rule out the entire book of Revelation. Um, all of Romans has been leading up to these two verses, and this is the crescendo. And so we turn there this morning, Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you for feeding us the bread of life. We pray this morning that you will help us to come to love words, acknowledging that your Son is the word that was in the beginning. And that he was with you and that he is you. And that all things were created by him and without him was not anything created that was created. And that in him is life. And that life is the light of men. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of every heart that is here be acceptable in your sight, our Lord, our strength, and our Redeemer. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now the Apostle Paul, immediately prior to the statements that we just read, he has just written and asked in writing two questions. And the two questions are this, in verse 35, who will separate us from the love of Christ? And then the second question is, will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Very similar situation to what we're, we're, we're told here, which is that all these other things will not separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, okay? And having asked these two questions, who will separate us from the love of Christ and will these things separate us from the life of love of Christ? In verse 36, the one following, he says, just as it is written for our sake, we're being put to death all day long. And we saw that he's making an aside here and saying, remember, 
The Christian life is suffering. The Christian life is death. The Christian life is dying all day long. So he's asked the question, who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will these things separate us? And he says, remember, the Christian life is dying all day long. And then he goes ahead and he answers the question with the statement, but in all these things, the things that have just been listed, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. So the love of Christ, him who loved us, and then we end the section with the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord, okay? And so each time there's reassurance given that reassurance is the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord, okay? And so the answer is no. These things will not separate us from the love of Christ. In all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. Then we come directly for I am convinced. Now, listen, what we all think is we all think that this is an unobjectionable passage of Scripture that everybody loves and everybody believes, right? All of us think that no one would object here and that it goes down easily. And so I want to take you on a train ride, okay? Because there's nothing that God says that you accept easily. Maddie, is that true? There's nothing God says that you accept easily. It doesn't just go down easily. It's actually not cotton candy, God's words. They have hard edges, and it's hard to accept them, okay? And uh, listen, all of us who are older, sympathetic to you who are younger, having to meet the Word of God and accept it on its own terms. But what we want you to know is those of us who are older have a lot of trouble with it too, okay? It's not just you that have trouble with the Bible and what it says. I'm particularly concerned here that all of us recognize that we do not like what is said here. And I know that sounds completely wacko. I mean, if there's any place in Scripture that people just lack, it's these two verses. So let's go on a train ride. Okay, you ready? For I am convinced. For I am persuaded. Okay? That's how it begins. And Robert Haldane, the Scot that comments so well on Romans, he says that being convinced or persuaded is the union of our heart and our trust in God's words. So being persuaded is not just being persuaded, it's the union of our heart, our inner core with God's words, okay? persuaded. And so he says this, he says, to be convinced is to have a union or conformity of heart to the word which we believe. Now remember I said I'm going to take us on a train ride, right? 
And I'm going to try to convince us that we don't really accept what it says here, all right? And so you can start to see or hear the whistle blowing now that the train is coming because I've just said to you that Haldane points out that it's the union of our inner core, our heart, with what God says. And talking about our heart doesn't bother us, does it? But it begins to bother us a little bit when we begin to hear some talk of our heart being united and conformed to words. Are you with me? That makes us a little uptight. Because as you know, as you remember I was talking to Eric Rasmussen a couple weeks ago, you know, and it's like, Eric, the word of the words of God are inspired, you know. A lot of people don't like to be sort of brought down to submission and conformity to words. Are you with me? So I want to read to you another place where Paul, the Apostle Paul says something very similar, okay? It's interesting because it's been made into a hymn. You know the hymn. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Okay, I know not why God's wondrous grace to me he hath made known. That's the chorus. Now listen, here's where it comes from. It's 2 Timothy 1, verse 12. Here's what it says. For this reason, this is the same man writing, this is the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he says, for this reason, I also suffer these things. So always suffering right there, okay? For this reason, I also suffer these things, but I am not ashamed. For I, what? I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced, that same word here, I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Same thing he's saying, right? Now, here's, here's, here's the... Uh, here's the... Here's where you get snookered. Here's the surprising thing. Here is... Uh, the edge, okay? Do anybody, anybody here <laughs> know what comes next in Second Timothy? I'm going to read it again. For this reason, I also suffer these things, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Anybody know what comes next? Come on, David. You don't know. Okay, here it is. You ready? Retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me. <laughs> now, come on, be honest and tell me that that's shocking. He, we've just been lifted up to heaven. We've been eating cotton candy. He's, he's not ashamed. He's persuaded. I know whom I have believed in. Emperor. Retain this. I mean, somehow that didn't make it into the refrain of the hymn. Retain the pattern of sound words. It just seems so pedantic. So, so, so like small. After things were so large. Do you understand what I'm saying? The entire basis of our faith is in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were created by Him, without Him. And He said, 
let there be light, and there was light. In the world today, words have become cheap. And so cheap that we think we control them. So cheap that we think that when God used words, those words limit God. Are you with me? And so when Haldane is here, and we're often blissed with this wonderful reassurance to our faith, and Haldane says being convinced is the union, the conformity of the heart to God's word, to his truth, we go, well, yeah, but can we get back to nothing can separate us from the love of God, please? You know? And so what I'm trying to get us to realize is that when he says, for I am convinced, we actually don't like that. What we would prefer, we would never say it because we're not impious, but what we would prefer is that he would use the language that we're used to using, which is I, 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 I feel deeply that nothing. I have a sense. May I suggest to you, you know, okay? But not I am convinced. Convinced is not a soft or hesitant word, and thus it is a word and concept that is offensive to most people today. Convincing is not allowed in society today. We have conversations, and we quarrel at each other about our preferences and our prejudices. We do not argue holding convictions and seeking to convince others. Okay? We do not convince, and we are not convinced. We share, we emote, we feel, we wonder, and we suggest. And our music outs us. You know, <laughs> I go into your homes, and sometimes your cars, and sometimes just your playlists, and I hear what you listen to. And honestly, it just, it just really grieves me. Because even the love songs that you like are tentative. The voices can't seem to be born. The voices you like are the voices that are sort of tremulous. Even men singing of their love do it weakly, and that's what you like. And so your music outs you. We listen to music that is hesitant and weak and wondering and tremulous and tenuous and timid, and as our music, so our words and conversations. We don't convince today because the basic tenet or rule or law of our society is that truth is relative. Thus, it is a crime against man to even suggest, let alone work to convince, people's self-perception and personhood are so weak and insecure that it's a violation of our etiquette or politeness even to question someone else's beliefs. Arguments are ruled out as rude. We don't want to be pushy or hurtful, and what better definition of hurtful is there than pushy? Now listen, yesterday my wife and I had a little, uh, little short fight in the car, okay? And here was the fight. We had been at a party, we left the party early because it's Saturday night, which is not all right by me, 
And because I have to preach in the morning, so Saturday night is not a night I like to go out, actually. But we've been at the party, and I was minding my own business. And at the very end of the party, somebody came up to me and said such and such, and then said, now, Tim, don't, don't do it. And I'm looking at him, and I'm thinking, don't do what? Now what am I not supposed to do? You know, I mean, I'm aware everywhere I go in my life that everybody's thinking, Tim, don't do it. But in this particular case, I can't imagine what it is I'm not supposed to do. And it just irritated the snot out of me. You know, it's like, seriously? I was just going to leave. And now I'm being told, don't do it, which, of course, is a rebuke. You know, and it's a rebuke for something I, I done did but shouldn't have, and so now I'm not supposed to do it again, right? And so I'm racking my brain as I'm looking at this guy, and I'm trying to think, what on earth am I not supposed to do? And he looks at me, you know. And I'm like, no, I don't know. Well, then he says, well, you know when you did such and such and such and such, and he still doesn't tell me, and so I, I, just, I, I just find a, a polite way to leave, get in the car, and I say to Mary Lee, oh, my God goodness. I mean, at the very end, it's like, and Mary Lee, in her typical way, uh, which is so helpful, she says, well, don't you remember what you did? (laughs) And of course, every marriage has one spouse that remembers all the bad and the other one remembers all the good. Okay. And so I'm not shocked that Mary Lee remembers what I did, you know. But then I I go back and I remember what I did after she reminds me what I did. And here was the situation. The situation was that there was someone who was calling into question the qualification spiritually of someone who was an officer in our church, okay? And I found out that that person was questioning, that person was in a position to know the truth about the situation, And I knew that that person was cynical about the Church of Christ and about the church ever being concerned about such a thing. And so the whole thing that was being told was, well, bleh, 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 bleh. And so it was a trashing of the Church of Jesus Christ. And so I was at a party, and I went up to that person alone, and I, and I, I, I said to that person, listen, I want you to know that actually we did examine the issue that you're concerned about carefully, and we came to the conclusion such and such and such and such. Well, that's what you're never supposed to do. You're never supposed to take words seriously. You're never supposed to be concerned about the truth of anything. After all, all all this person was doing was just slandering the bride of Christ and the officers of Christ's church. And that officer would have preferred that I not defend him. (laughs) Especially afterwards when she was just so offended that somebody had actually talked to her about the issue. Now, come on, people. You know how this stuff goes down. You're supposed to act as if the elephant in the room doesn't exist. And but for heaven's sakes, don't make a fool of yourself by addressing the elephant in the room. Just let them make hay while the sun shines. And isn't the church big enough to be able to take false charges? You know? And why ruin a party by speaking individually to somebody who's been slandering Christ's church and her officers? 
Come on, people. Come on. Now, I know you know me, right? You all know me, right? You know me? Most of you, some of you don't know me real well, but you're getting to know me. You know me, right? And you know that if there's one thing that can be said about Tim Bailey, it's that he always chooses the wrong time to say the right thing. Right? Every single one of you at some point have had me say the right thing to you at the wrong time. Right? And you know that if I had come to you beforehand and asked when would be a good time, that you would have had a number of options from which I could have chosen. Right? We also know deep down inside that if I lived that way, most of the things that I say that are right would never be said. Come on, be truthful. And so you all know that if you had been there at the time, you could have found reasons to rebuke me for ruining her good time, ruining other people's good time, not getting permission of the host to say what I said. All these different things that we keep tabs of that render us impotent. Okay? And I know that it would have been better if I hadn't used that word right now, but you know it's true. So that's another example of me saying the right thing at the wrong time. But for heaven's sakes, are we all going to go through life denying that words have meaning and that truth matters? Really, are we going to live in the prison that we fash and that we create out of emotions and sensitivities and hurt? Is that really what we want? Do we want to live in the bondage of our feelings and other people's feelings with truth, never, ever able? to trump feelings. Is that really what we want? We don't convince today because the basic tenet or rule or law of our society is that truth is relative, and thus it's a crime against man to even suggest, let alone work to convince, People's self-perception and personhood are so weak and insecure that it's a violation of our etiquette or politeness even to question someone else's beliefs. Arguments are ruled out as rude. We don't want to be pushy or hurtful, and what better definition of hurtful is there than pushy? Today, convictions are not something men and women live and die by, but something only the court does. And that decreasingly so. Men in prison are no longer those who have been convicted by a court of law, which is to say, convicts. But inmates and those suffering incarceration. At the hands of the wicked and unjust and oppressive courts, who did what? Convicted them made declarative statements of their guilt, weighed them and found them wanting, judged them, condemned them, 
they used to be convicted of a crime and sent to, con- to prison where they were convicts inside and ex-convicts outside. But no longer. And yet, is it really true that we no longer seek to convince others? So that's the case I'm making. The case I'm making is there really is no place left where we can speak of truth, use words with hard edges, and have conviction and convincing and persuasion and argument. Everything has, been, has become subject, subjective. Everything has become emotive. Everything has, is about how you feel and I feel, okay? And so is it really true that we don't try to convince people anymore? Well, no, it's not true. We work very, very hard to convince others still today. But it's sneaky and it's underhanded and it's completely outside the supervision and fairness of a debate society, of courtrooms presided over by judges, or classrooms under the guidance of the professor or teacher, or a session meeting led by a moderator, or for heaven's sakes, a dinner table led by a father. Today, the convincing is done by a sort of feeding frenzy of innuendo and smear tactics and non sequiturs and slander and mincing and prancing and hedge words and phrases and shrugs of the shoulders and winkings of the eyes and appeal to the prejudices of the masses. Saying I am right is wrong because it implies you are wrong. Saying this is right is wrong because it implies That is wrong. But still, I sure can smear and lie about you, but very suggestively. And so it is today, convincing and being convinced are acts of political correctness done indirectly through perverted rhetorical ploys that we all act as if we don't see or don't hear or don't understand the significance of. Truth is largely dead, while feelings and narratives and sensibilities and prejudices and smears and cancelings live on and prosper. Truth is dead. Truth has been cast down, and now suggestivity and sentimentality and weakness and pain and victimhood and the caught prejudices of the masses sit on the throne. And then, right then, Scripture speaks with the Apostle Paul declaring in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I am convinced. I am convinced. Now that's your train ride. And I want you to see that you don't understand how opposed you are to the entire principle at the center of these two verses. And that principle is Words matter. And we live and die by our convictions. And our convictions cannot be removed from the words, and they cannot be removed from the words of God. And it makes perfect sense that when the Apostle Paul says, For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Retain the pattern of sound words. Now listen, you don't like me doing this. I know that. But for heaven's sakes, don't you realize that I'm being upfront about it? 
I'm smashing. I'm looking daggers at you. I demand that you retain the pattern of sound words. And isn't that really a relief after Instagram and Facebook? I mean, honestly, honestly, isn't that a delightful relief? That there is a man standing up there hitting the pulpit and demanding something of me, you know? Isn't that a relief? Instead of all this sort of sneaky kind of feeling kind of bleep, 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 bleep. So last time I told a story, I'm going to tell it again today, and you know, I don't know why, but I'm going to tell it because I think it just perfectly summarizes this. So when Taylor was in high school, we had a guy come live with us. Taylor's age, right? And this guy came to live with us because uh, he needed to live with us. Why did he need to live with us? Well, the first thing we learned was that he had a very expensive iPod, and it was filled with filth. Okay? And when I say filth, I'm referring to filth. (laughs) Sexual filth, obscene filth, godless filth, demonic filth, filth upon filth upon filth. That was what he listened to. Well, when Hannah was little, we didn't even allow her to be on chat. You know, she wanted to chat with her friends, and she was cute and blonde and sweet. What could go wrong? No, Hannah, you will not chat. In other words, our family's kind of tight, you know? And when it came to music, you know, I'd listen to Pink Floyd and smoke dope while I gardened tomatoes in San Diego. And I know what that's about, and no, uh, 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 it ain't going to happen to my children. Why? Well, because it's fatalism. The lunatic is in my brain. No, you're not going to listen to Pink Floyd. As a matter of fact, instead of selling that album, which was in mint condition, and I bought immediately and went to the concert as soon as it came out. No, that one's getting smashed. I'd go through my records as a Christian, deciding which ones got smashed and which ones I could sell. And Pink Floyd got smashed. And you think, oh, for heaven's sakes, Pastor Bailey. Listen, I take music as seriously as Plato did. This kid moved into our house with an iPod filled with filth. You think I'm going to have the job of being his father for the next year and allow him to fill his mind with filth? Come on. You think I'm stupid? And so I said to him, dude, you know, erase the filth. And this kid had more a sense of the legitimacy of his judgments and feelings than any person I've ever run into in my life. Well, that's a bit of an exaggeration, but I mean, he was unbelievable. And he was just absolutely certain that I was unfair, unjust, uh, probably insecure. He may not have accused me of that, but... You know, I was just unfair. And he said, no, I'm not going to erase him. And I said, yes, you are. He said, no, 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 no. I said, yes, 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 yes. He said, no, 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 no. It's not fair. It's not fair. It's not fair. I said, I don't care whether it's fair or not. You're going to erase it. No, 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 no. Yes, 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 yes. Actually, no, it was no, 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 no. And it was yes, (laughs) you know. And, And then, 
And then, I mean, he was casting around for all these things that he could say. And he said to me, listen, he said, some of that music on my iPod, John Crumb has on his iPod. Well, John Crumb was his youth group leader, right? And I said, you know, I don't really care what John Crumb has on his iPod. He's not living in my home. He had been, but he wasn't now. And, and, I, and I also had a sneaking suspicion that the things that John and he shared on their iPods were the things that weren't filth, <laughs> you know? But I wasn't going to argue with him. He was going to remove all the filth, which means everything on his iPod because anything that wasn't filth was an anomaly. And so I kept saying to him, this went on for days, days, okay? Taylor was watching what be going down. And Taylor's like, <laughs> the longer it went on, <laughs> Taylor's like, because, ah, ah, you know, this is his friend living now in our home and then dad. And, and Taylor can't conceive of what this punk is doing, you know? He can't imagine that he keeps saying no to me, right? Goes on day after day after day after day. Finally, Sunday arrives, right? We go to morning church. We go to evening church. We get home. And we're sitting in the living room on a couch. And there's Tim. And there's this dude. And there's Taylor in a row. And I'm engaging dude about his music, his filth. And I'm saying, you're, you're going to erase it. And Taylor's down at the end, just like, <laughs> put me out of my misery. And so after about 15 or 20 minutes of this kid arguing with me, I looked down at Taylor and I said, you know, Taylor, and Taylor's like, what? And I said, you know, you best take him upstairs and talk to him and explain to him what's about to happen. <laughs> yep, Dad. And I mean, they're, they're out of there. They're upstairs. Come on, come on, come on. Taylor's upstairs. They're up there for about 15 minutes. And then they come back down, and they sit down on the couch. And so I turned to him, and I said, so have you erased the filth? And he starts arguing with me. And so I said to him, let's say his name was John. I said, John, get up. So he gets up, and I said, come with me. We go out in the garage. I take a sledgehammer. I put it in his hand. I say, now smash your iPod. Now, let me ask you. Stop right there. Let me ask you. Is this not what needs to happen in our world, that the word of God is a fire and a hammer, and that it destroys all all the feelings, the emotions, all the rhetoric, all the lies, everything that God speaks and man is silent. Is that not what the world needs today? Is there any denial that that's what the world needs today? Now, let me ask you, are you his agent of reconciliation? Do you speak in the world in such a way that declares the authority of God and the hypocrisy of all the emoting of the world? Well, no, we're not good agents of reconciliation because we're more concerned about how we come off with other people. Are you with me? I mean, if you weigh on a scale, on the one hand, us 
defending the reputation of God. And on the other hand, us making sure that our street cred is good vis-a-vis emoting. That's not even a contest. I mean, what has our wife told us to do our entire lives but to not alienate the children? Honey, you don't know how you come across to the kids. And here I had in my house a young man, very bright, very handsome, very, 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 very much in the prime of life. And there was not a hint in this man of the fear of God. He was absolutely convinced that he was God's gift to mankind and that the purpose of mankind's gift was to honor him and to submit ourselves to his sense of rightness and wrongness and justice and fairness and every single moralistic claim he had built up. And so you put yourself in my position. He's just come to live with you and he has an iPod filled with filth and it's what? $300 iPod. What are you going to do? I never made one threat to him. (laughs) I never said do this or else. I think every parent has failed when they say or else. I think your word in your home should be such that there is unquestioned obedience. And then after the obedience, if they want to ask you why, That's fine, as long as they do it respectfully. The kinds of ways that reform pastors are respectfully asking the civil magistrates now why. You know, about masks. It's such an inspiration to me. You know, there's such respect for authority and yet difference. And of course, I'm being sarcastic. You know, like priests, like people. We're just like our pastors. We're filled with disrespect. And we don't say permission to speak candidly, sir. (laughs) We just say, you you stupid idiot. I'm going to rebel. Hey, people, come with me. We got rebellion on the menu today. And so this kid's in my home. What, What would you have done? Would you have fashioned a compromise? Don't you think that his life was a life of people compromising with him? And don't you think that the basis of every compromise was sucking in his lies? Right? He was good at it. Now, here's my question. Maddie, you get first hack at it. You know the story. You know that I've given him a sledgehammer, right? And he's got his expensive iPod filled with degenerate, immoral filth, and he doesn't want to erase the filth, now he has a sledgehammer, and Tim has said, smash it on the concrete floor. What do you think happened? 
I haven't threatened him. No threats at all. Just here's the sledgehammer. Smash it. What do you think happened? Huh? You don't think he smashed it. Is that what she said? Okay, she doesn't think he smashed it. Okay, anybody else want to take a guess? Because that one's wrong. Listen, without a sound, without a look, without a word, he leans over, puts it on the concrete, and he smashes it. Listen, people, we don't live in victimhood, and we don't live in our emotions. We live by the Word of God. And we either teach our children to live by the Word of God, or we teach them to live by their sense of justice and fairness and Black Lives Matter and avoiding being racist and all of the things that the world is going to keep us busy showing we aren't or we are. And you can't do it both, and you can't raise children to do them both. And if you're a husband and there isn't something about you that teaches your children that it is important to be convinced, to be persuaded, to use truth claims, to use words, and to have your home built upon the words of God. Because that's what the Apostle Paul is saying to us. What he's saying is, listen, and he's been saying this for chapters, there's a ton of things that are going to shake your faith in Jesus Christ. And I sympathize. And I'm doing everything I can to give you words of God that you can build your soul, your eternity, and your life on. That you can build your family on. And you remember, some of those words are him very carefully explaining to us how we're going to get caught in sin and how in this life we're not going to be able to do what we want to do and we are going to do what we shouldn't do. And there are words that as we heard them about our weakness doing what honors God, our hearts went out and we said, yeah, that's me. And they were words that caused us to say that. And the Apostle Paul then went on, and he's been going on and on about all the things that try to shake us off the Word of God. They try to push us and pull us and seduce us. They're all the sirens. And we hear them. And we're so weak. We're sheep. We're My father wrote a poem, Oh Lord, I'm such a stupid sheep. And the Apostle Paul is a good shepherd, and he just keeps leading us and leading us and leading us and leading us, and he keeps strengthening us. And he shows us all the things that are out to get us, okay? And he's taken us through our own sinfulness. No, don't let that get you, because in heaven you will be done. 
Okay, you will be done. Finally, you will be done, but keep fighting, right? And then he takes us to persecutions, and he takes us to sufferings that are from outside, you know, that we're, we're fearful, we have anxieties. And, and then he comes to the end of the chapter, and here's his list. Death nor life, you know? Death, the final enemy. You know, you're, you're facing death. Oh, that shakes you. That shakes you because you know it is appointed unto man once to die and after that the judgment. Death shakes you to the bone. The valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for thou art with me. Nor life. Oh, the myriad ways in life that we're shaken off God. You know, even the deceitfulness of wealth. Right? (coughs) The daily grind the desire for things that God has forbidden us, all the things in life, nor angels, whoo, angels, nor principalities, oh, principalities and powers, oh, no! You know, as I was writing this sermon, oh, man. (laughs) I am so tired of Christians watching Twilight crap. But it's not crap, it's evil. You should never be entertained by principalities and powers and demonic things and vampires and dark. Christians should never have anything to do with them. You should never read them. You should never give your attention because it causes you to think they aren't really enemies. You know, they are really enemies. And when the Apostle Paul says here, nor angels, nor principalities, you should tremble and then be secure. Because he says, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing. And we're like, okay, we're back. We're back. I was supposed to be done at 11. Okay. I got to get done really quickly. Okay. Well, I think you get the idea. (laughs) Right? And the idea is that the love of God is in Jesus Christ on the cross and on the cross He took your punishment for your sin. And you are to put your faith in that statement that on the cross he bore his father's wrath against your sin. It is a propositional statement. It's hard-edged. Wrath, cross, love. Love the Father sent the Son there. And either you believe that or you don't. And if you do believe that, you're a Christian. Now, one last thing. It would be very easy for you to point to this final list of Romans chapter 8 and to say that these are things that can hurt you from the outside and that you believe that those things won't hurt you. And then to tell yourself And yet, I still have the ability myself to separate myself from the love of God. I'm really wicked. 
I'm really sinful. I'm really weak. And so even though those things can't get at me, I can get at myself. That's what the Roman Catholic Church is always taught. That's what most of the evangelical church teaches today. But let me ask you this. What is the threat of death? Is the threat of death that it will separate you from God? Or is it the threat of death that your sin will bring you before God and he will not forgive you? Okay, what's the real threat of death? The real threat of death, everyone fears the judgment that is coming. Okay? And so what's really going on with each of these things is it's not the thing that you're afraid of. It is your response to the thing. Do you see that? What he's telling you is, don't worry, the future is not going to separate you from the love of God. And you say, well, I know the future won't, but what about my fear of the future? And then he says, death isn't going to, well, I know death won't, but what about my sin when I die and I'm going to stand before God? What about that? Every one of these things, it's not the thing. It is our sin being that the thing is using to erase our trust in God. Do you see this? All these promises are promises about your security in Jesus Christ. Regardless of your weakness and your sin and your unbelief. Every one of these things only has power in that it uses your sin and fears to get at you. And the Bible says it won't get at you. You must not be afraid of death because Christ has prepared the way for you. Okay, you must not be afraid of the angels because they are ministering spirits to you sent from God. You must not be afraid of the devil because Christ has triumphed over the devil. You must not be afraid of the future because Jesus has told us the future will take care of itself. You must not be afraid of the past because the Bible tells us that our sins are removed from us as far as the east is from the west. Don't be afraid because we live in the love of God. Okay? Okay? Don't be afraid. Build your house on the rock. Jesus, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he says that the wind, the rain, but anybody that built their house on his words would stand firm. Okay. Uh, I don't see the... So I suppose I'm supposed to... Neither Phil nor Jody are back. Oh, what do you want me to do? Okay, just give the benediction then. Okay, could you stand up, please? And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ abide with you all, giving you hope and keeping you from fear. Father, Have mercy on us and cause us to build our lives on the word of God, we pray. Thank you for the love 
that you have shown us in Jesus Christ. And we pray in his precious name. Amen.